Okay, how's it going? Better than it has been. Woohoo! <laughs> Minuscule improvement. <laughs> We're drinking brewski beers. Oh, right. Today. Yeah, hold on, I gotta. <gasps> Anyways. Well, I spilled a beer on myself the last time. Yeah, so. I did figure um, I was gonna. Would you mind grabbing me a napkin? Um, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> just like loses. How dare you <laughs> ask me to help you? Damn, we're not gonna have any trouble today. It's literally like everything was perfect. Yeah. Record and, <laughs> and then everything started going wrong. There's a spirit. Uh, There's okay. a spirit in the room with us. <laughs> and it's not wanting us to be podcast girls. Yeah. In 2024, we no. were too optimistic. No. Yeah, yeah. So the last episode, if you listened, we had so many technical difficulties. Oh the audio stopped twice on GarageBand, which never happens. Your video stopped I like five times. I have five separate issues. videos. So we're just fingers crossed that... I was force feeding video to my iPhone. And, right. And she was like, I'm full. <laughs> <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> so. Okay. Let's talk about, <laughs> I, we haven't talked about this yet because I've been holding it in. Let's talk about Joe Coy, the Golden Globes, and now Chelsea Handler and the Critics' Choice Awards. Chef's kiss to her Ugh. follow-up to that. So good. The fact that like with, what's his name? Joe, Joe, Coy. Joe Coy. Exactly. I know. I didn't even know about this guy. And I'm like, wow, what a like, I'm, I mean, I'm sure it's not a debut, but like in my brain, it's a debut because I never heard of him before. And I'm sure a lot of people are in the same boat. And for this to be like your first. Are you aware? (laughs) Okay. The relationship between them. So the, yes. yes. Chelsea Handler and Joe Coy dated. And that's the only reason I know who he is. And I imagine that's the case for a lot of people because Chelsea Handler is so beloved and right famous mm-hmm. and she was very vocal about like supporting him as a comedian and right. it's not like he hadn't been doing comedy Mm-mm. but she definitely did what taylor swift did for travis kelsey which was yeah. put him on the motherfucking map yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah which is just amazing that she had the follow-up did you see the little dig she put in that was like thank you so much for laughing at that my writers wrote that joke because he... Okay, let's talk about Joe Coy's okay. monologue. Yes. Terrible. There were so many options. There yeah. were so many options. The reason I loved Chelsea's monologue mm-hmm. is because she still cracked jokes. Yeah. She still had, like, usually the monologue is, is a little roasty-toasty. Mm-hmm. But to just belittle one of the most successful movies of all time... And against when, like, I feel like Barbenheimer was so big. Like, it was very much, like, a not a competition. Yeah, it, was it was a like celebration a, of both. thing. And then to be like, okay, here, like, I think, I don't know if you were about to say that because you said pitting against, but pitting those two movies against each yes. other as, like, differences in quality as if they're not completely different movies with completely different purpose. And both so successful. And, yeah. And Barben- Barbie was more successful, right? Yeah. I would bet that Oppenheimer wouldn't have been as successful without the Barbenheimer yes. thing because it wasn't like as huge of a draw. It was still mm-hmm. one that what people wanted to see, but it's really mm-hmm. long. It's like kind of niche. It wouldn't be as, yeah. as I think, popular without that. Mm-hmm. I also think there's been some very fair criticism of the Barbie movie. Most importantly, that it's essentially content marketing for Mattel. Yeah. And that Mattel is not a perfect company, which they kind of mm-hmm. make fun of in the movie. 
Yeah. But Oppenheimer. <laughs> do we need to say what Oppenheimer is about? <laughs> like, it was just kind Boom. of crazy to act like that's the epitome of film. And it's like, right. it was a great movie. To act like a movie about the atomic bomb is like so much more important mm-hmm. than feminism when that was like talk about toxic masculinity right let's drop an atomic bomb for no reason anyways it was still a good movie but i thought that that was interesting to Mm -hmm. belittle one movie that was a huge social criticism yeah to boobies yeah chelsea handler's monologue no one can tell me otherwise was absolutely a response yeah she did have that little dig, but the way that she, like, centered the, the opening of her monologue around the Barbie movie in a way that was, like, so positive and still so funny. And she had the funniest joke about Greta Gerwig and that, like, she was the highest grossing female director. So they'll maybe now be considering if she's worth right. investing in. And it's like, oh, yes, like, that was such a great way to make it funny and comedic and also relevant to the audience. Right. Like, read the room, Joe Coy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Joe Coy's writers, I put that in air quotes because that was the most annoying cop out. Okay, what's what are you? Most thoughts? annoying cop out and just but like it did have to go through approvals and the fact that there are so many people who had to like green flag this to get it approved. Yeah. It was like I'm sure there were women in the background who were like, This is bad. Yeah. And nobody listened to them. Mm-hmm. And while all the bros were like, Oh, that's gonna be funny. But and I haven't looked this up, but I feel like in, with a lot of the award shows, there's way too many male decision makers. And yeah. that's a huge issue. I think that's why ugh, Hollywood has, whatever, I have my own issues with that. But that room of people, it's a very progressive room mm-hmm. of people. There's a lot of women there. They're all excited about having a female-centered movie. Right. It's so like we huge. didn't even like consider the fact that this is, like even if you're making that joke in the background with your with all the writers, like, man, I wish you could say this, you have to understand that that's not the audience. Yeah. That is, I think, just the cognitive dissonance. Yes. Where it's not even something that I'm sure some of those people thought about, that this would not land. Yeah. It's astounding. Yeah. And the most annoying thing I saw was, here's the thing, Joe Coy, I have seen funny comedy of his. Sure. And he does seem like a genuinely like nice person. I also, I trust Chelsea Handler's. (laughs) I trust that woman with my life. Like, I don't think she would date a guy who wasn't at least a little bit aware. Right. At least at this stage in her life. Yeah. Um... There were so many women I saw after the fact being like, well, he's such a nice guy. He's one of the good ones. He, you know, people are being too hard on him. And I would really love to see in the year of 2024, I would love to see women being more comfortable with calling out the good guys when they fuck up. Right. Because it's like, you can be a good guy and make a really, really terrible judgment Go. call. And it's okay to say that. Go watch Promising Young Woman. Ugh. Even the good guys are part Ugh. of the problem. Yes. That's like the and whole okay point of that, that Yes. As white people, we're part of the problem. Like with racism. Yes. Like that's literally, that doesn't mean that they are, again, we always talk about the gray area, yes. but that doesn't mean that that person or we are bad people at our core. Yeah. And that that's what I feel like people aren't very good at like handling is nobody's saying that you're a bad person because you made a sexist joke and didn't realize it or because you were 
like, kind of a dick in the past. Yeah. Mean to some girlfriends. Like, everybody has room. I think there's room for growth. I think there are exceptions to that, obviously. Like, assault, that kind of stuff. But I think that's kind of, like, what is is missed in a lot of these discussions that makes people so defensive is because people are assuming that that means they're a bad person. 100%. And not, you need to learn. Yes. Everybody does. And I also think in any movement mm-hmm. of equality where there is an oppressor and an oppressed mm-hmm. if you cannot have difficult conversations with allies what the fuck are you doing right. there you're never going to have progress if mm-hmm. your allies aren't aren't open to being criticized right. when they make a mistake yeah that is part of it mm-hmm. that's why you have allies like yeah. that's kind of the point of having allies is to yeah. be able to say okay, you are part of the oppressor, but we're going to have a conversation and a dialogue and you are a person who's going to listen to me and make a change. Right. And it absolutely maddened me that people Mm -hmm. were like so quick to jump to Joe Coy's defense. And it's like, I'm sorry if a woman got up and gave a monologue at an award show and said something that that offended a bunch of people. There would be not. Would anyone be jumping to her defense? No. No. So (laughs) moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Maggie. And I'm Sarah. And this is... Mad, Mad Woman in the, in the attic. attic. Ho, 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 ho. Let's, Let's go, go, girls. We that was a great that. one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. It's like the second we, I said my name, I was like, this one's about to be good. We're like professional <laughs> podcasters. We had so much confidence. We say after singing our fucking jingle. <laughs> <laughs> we said that jingle with our chest. <laughs> Which is my new favorite saying of 2024. That's all you're going to hear me say all year. Say it with your chest. As if you weren't saying that all of 2023. Uh, I wasn't. You said it a lot. Actually, I did because I feel like, did I start say it with your chest? Because I said that to you on a podcast episode. Yeah. I I remember. So there's evidence of it. But now it's all over social media. So um, I'm going to take credit. credit? (laughs) Okay. Sure. Just like yesterday, I invented... The sauerkraut pimento grilled cheese. I don't care if anyone else has tried that before. I invented it. Trademark. Yes. Good. <laughs> okay. Maggie. Yes. <laughs> I, this is something Maggie brought up at dinner like a week ago. And I was like, no, no, no. Shh, 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 shh. We're going to talk about this on the podcast. And I have been just like waiting to, to hear because I'm not, I'm not fully um, immersed in this culture. Yeah. So I'm ready for you to educate me. Yes. This was a this was a what are we mad about this week moment, which we haven't done that since the first yeah, few episodes. Haven't. This is a what are you mad about today? Uh, Stanley fucking cups. <laughs> Look, here's the thing. I'm a beaker girl. I have several water bottles yes, from the do. beaker brand. They are glass, which They're is better also- for the environment. Science, women in STEM. Women in STEM. Beakers. Like, there is nothing. I, I have several water bottles because I forget to wash them. And so I am going to have a few so I can have some filled up. I can put one in the fridge. If yep. I misplaced one, I'm like, well, shit. And then I have another one and I'll yes. eventually find the other one. There is nothing wrong with having a few water bottles. Yeah. The thing is, though, <laughs> is that there is a point where... The whole thing about reusable water bottles is to not create as much waste. Yeah. And then these, have you seen the videos of people swarming Target? No. 
Okay, look, I don't know if anyone, if our listeners have seen these. It is all over. I'm not in the Stanley culture. It hasn't found me yet. I'm not in the Stanley culture. I'm in the sustainability culture. And so a lot of them are reposting. So that's kind of how I've seen it Mm. is through these sustainability accounts that I follow. And it is literally women, white women, mainly, if not all swarming shelves at Target in particular for like the Valentine's Day, like the pink and red ones that they just released. Is it like a color collector thing? It's like they want, yeah, every color. There are people with literal closets dedicated to, there's like one girl who has, she's like, I have one for every outfit. And it is, I am not even kidding, dozens of Stanley Cups, if not like crossing into the realm of a hundred. Of every single color they've ever released. And these videos show these women literally running to these shelves to like... It's like it looks like one of the old Black Friday videos when Black Friday was still like a swarm Walmart situation. We talked about consumerism recently. And so this was like one of those things where it's like you do not need that many. You do not get... If you want one to fe- match every fucking outfit, get a black one. Black. That's what I was about to say. Just get a black one. <laughs> Just get a black one, a white one, maybe a brown. <laughs> and then you have three options that I'll work with every single outfit you have. Beige. And then it's like, okay, you're actually doing what you're supposed to be doing with the idea of getting reusable water bottles, yeah. which is reducing waste. Do you carry those three water bottles with you for like the rest of your life? Well, because that... And it will grade of plastic waste. is even worse for the environment than yeah. plastic for like a plastic water bottle. Right. Here's, here's Imagine a whale small swallowing a Stanley cup. I <laughs> <laughs> I love silly goofy girls <laughs> just unabashedly being unhinged about something that they like. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that for the girls. I, mm-hmm. My favorite thing about being a woman is that sometimes we just like the silliest things. Right. And everyone wants to tell us, don't like that. Right. And I just love to be like, fuck you. Do it. Yeah, Why not? Like it. Why not? Yeah. Life is so short. We're on this earth for such a short amount of time. Just get it. Who cares? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, why a water bottle? Yeah. And why something that's so bad for the environment? And why in such a like unhinged collector it is insane (laughs) i wish i could like pull one of the videos up right now and just show you i've never been a collector i'm the same way with clothes i like having multiple of the same thing that i know i love in different colors i'm like that with the water bottle although i've been drinking from that green one i got on sale that lime green one recently so it's my one water bottle with the straw that's why i've been on the edge of my seat because i thought when you first said something about stanley i thought you were going to make fun of the size and i was like also that have you i cannot wait for you holding your giant green milk jug to be like but at least they're too big i can (laughs) fling that thing around the stanley cups are heavy even without water yeah they look heavy yeah uh, so I do have, like, a massive water bottle, yes. Yeah, I feel like... Uh, here's the other thing I like about Stanley is, like, the immediate mental image that comes to mind for me is someone with really long-ass nails clickety-clacking on the side of a Stanley cup, and, like, that is the ASMR I'm sexually attracted to. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't elaborate. Okay. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Yeah, but I agree with you. I agree with you in a general sense. Relax on the fucking Stanley Relax, relax. Let's remember what a water bottle is for. Yes, and you don't need one to match every single outfit. Also, and it's also at some point like drinking, right? Yeah, how much much are are you you peeing? peeing? (laughs) Yeah, y'all just don't buy that many. 
Yeah. You do not need that many. That's so silly. I We're laughing about it now on the pod because it's insane. Yeah. I think a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm a Stanley Cup girl. I have yeah. so many. Haha, ha, I'm part of it. It's LOL, it's so funny. And it's like, it's not funny, really, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Like, if you have a f- one, a few, whatever, I'm not going to judge someone walking by with a Stanley Cup because they may only have one, you know? But, like, I think it's like we start laughing about these things. It's like, this is a, a show of, like, consumerism that's not really that funny if you have that many of something. Yeah. We shouldn't laugh at mental illness. <laughs> We shouldn't laugh at legitimate, serious, very severe mental illnesses. For anybody who has this is their first episode, we are mentally ill. We can say that. Look. (laughs) Do you think they put the Stanley addiction serum in the Target air? Yeah. Yeah, that do we all know the theory that Target diffuses addictive things in their air? Yeah. That makes you like black out and just buy Mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I saw this thing where someone was so upset. They got their mom a knockoff. Because they're like, that's a ridiculous amount of money for a water bottle. How much do they cost? Let's look it up. Google it. Goggle it. Tumblr. I'm going to get on the wrong side now because the algorithm's going to be like... $45. Okay, I can't judge... For the quencher H2O flow state. (laughs) Wow. That is a name. Well, first of all, that's very appropriate for the episode today. Right. Because it feels like the name of a vibrator. Right. The Clean State Quencher. Why are they calling them quenchers? I don't know. That's weird. I, look. Oh, wow. They really have. I can't necessarily make fun of that cost. I will make fun of the name. That's They insane. also have chode quenchers. I'm sorry. Are we not chode? allowed to say the word chode on a girly podcast? <laughs> like, they're short and fat. Oh. <laughs> actual name i was like <laughs> did they not send that through marketing like or they did but then no one else checked it is their whole marketing team virgins yeah okay wow. any other thoughts on stanley water bottles no just stop it you don't need that many I, I i do not judge for like you know five water bottles yeah whatever i'm not gonna wash a fucking water bottle what do you think is often. the biggest stanley collection i i wonder if we could look it up Ugh, they're they're taking my question wrong they think I mean the size. Right, yeah. Mariana Conti Schwartz has one daughter, two dogs. Whoa, okay, hold on. The 40-year-old from North Carolina works from home running her family business, big owls, whatever, likes to match her outfits to her reusable cups. The Stanley Quenchers. They're lined up like soldiers on clear acrylic shelves across her kitchen. Conti Schwartz estimates she spent $5,000 on the lot. Conti? She literally, I think this is the girl that goes like, this is iris and pool and aqua and glass. Oh, no. A wall. Like, there's literally a wall of them. It is cute. <sighs> but you could just paint. Right? <laughs> just paint the Stanley Cup on your wall. You do not. No, know. just paint your wall oh. colors to liven it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. Anyway, yeah, okay. that's that on that. I have a silly story from the past week. Okay. Salt burn. Which you still haven't seen. I haven't seen it. And you have to. Yeah. So I had been on two dates with a very kind medical resident. Yeah. We had been on two dates and I had been like, okay, I feel like we've had a lot of like sit and talk over drinks time. Right. Maybe we should watch a movie or something mm-hmm. a little more chill. And I really wanted to see Saltburn after the holidays. So I was like, I'm just going to invite him over to see Saltburn. All of my friends who had seen it were like, Sarah, that's dumb. 
don't watch Saltburn on a date with a person you barely know. One of our friends was like, I watched it with my husband and I felt a little awkward. And I was like, I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> I was like, listen, I don't know. If I can't sit and watch an uncomfortable movie with a man, mm-hmm. I don't want him to be my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. That's the vibe. That's what you're signing up for. Yeah. So I um, invited this man to my home. We made a frozen pizza and we watched Saltburn. And here's my feedback. It was fine. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone was acting like it was going to be so horrifying. Like this was going to be like the most horrifying thing ever. I was going to like run this man out of my house. It was fine. Yeah. I think a lot of people just don't watch weird movies. It wasn't astounding. I have a theory that how you feel, how you react to salt burn says a lot about your sex life. Not that it's good or bad, but just like, are you a yes and, or are you a no thank you? That's my theory. I won't elaborate any further. (laughs) Like, are you like, so okay. I like it. (laughs) I think you would like it. Yeah. I like weird movies in general. Like the menu was really freaking weird and I loved it. Did I say freaking? Did I censor myself? Freaking. Freaking weird. Um, it's because TikTok. Yeah. Shadow banned us for one fuck word. <laughs> fuck word. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even say F word. Just one fuck word. I'm a grown woman. Okay. <laughs> um, so anyway, Saltburn was fine. And the uh, most hilarious part of the whole thing was that my date, who is a medical resident, we had like joked that it was going to be an uncomfortable movie. And so... I think that helped, but he was like fine through the whole movie. And then there's a scene, slight spoiler, there's a scene that involves extubating someone. That was, that was already in a group text we had. So, which doesn't really spoil, it doesn't really spoil anything, but there's a scene that involves extubating someone like very dramatically. And nobody mentions that on the online things. And we're sitting watching this movie and my date goes, (gasps) Oh! I burst out laughing. I'm like, no, that. <laughs> the only that's the scene that shocked you. And he goes, that would really hurt. <laughs> and that's like, yeah, but the extubation is what got you. And he's like, I, I don't think you understand. That would really hurt. <laughs> so, anyways, I think the people who are like really horrified by Saltburn, I'm grow up. <laughs> Grow up. We're all adults. After you watch it, I want to have a follow-up discussion. Okay. Yeah. That's going to spoil the entire movie for our listeners. So be prepared. If you haven't watched Saltburn and you're listening to this, watch it. Because in our next episode, we're going to have an in-depth discussion about Mm -hmm. all the shocking scenes. That means I have to watch it by Thursday. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Time for that. Ho, 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 ho. Story time. I feel like you're going to be able to tell that we were laughing leading into that one. Well, which is great. Sue me. Yeah. Oh, and a small note before you start your story. Mm-hmm. I am going to be knitting today. Yes. While Maggie tells her story. Yeah. Nobody be offended. I have a just inkling that I maybe have ADHD, which actually several of our listeners have said that. <laughs> that listening to me talk um, indicates that I might. Um, so I have noticed in work that knitting helps me focus and just like listen a little better and be a more active listener. So just doing something with my hands. So I'm going to be knitting. Um, yeah. I, so, and we'll see how it goes today. Yeah. If it goes well, I will be knitting every other episode. Yeah. And I'll show you what I'm knitting. <laughs> 
for the Patreon. <laughs> this is, for our Patreon subscribers, this is a baby blanket I am making for my future niece or nephew. I won't show this on Instagram because... <laughs> Who the fuck cares? But um, and if you care, then pay us six dollars and you get to see it. But our lucky Patreon subscribers will will get to see my knitting projects progress. <laughs> <laughs> so hang on to your fucking seat. Could be fun. I will not knit when you're talking because I would scream. Yeah. Because that's okay. I've as a fiber artist. You would think. <laughs> I love that you always say that when you talk about it. You're like, I'm a fiber artist. I should know how to do this, but that and I can't crochet. Like, at all. I can't, The thing with crocheting is I can do it really fast, but I cannot, for the life of me, figure out where you end the row and when to turn. So it just, it's like this, all yeah. of my crochet projects. But I'm I'm uh, pretty good at knitting. So I will be doing that today. And yeah. even though our topic is... Wow, a doozy. I'm so excited. I am dressed like a trad wife, knitting for this episode, which is just amazing. Yeah. I am a multifaceted hoe. Yeah. Behind the history lessons you learned in school, in the books and journals and medical studies removed from shelves by prudish administrators and panicked parents, lies an electrifying tale of pleasure, empowerment, and innovation thousands of years in the making. This story, an undercurrent humming beneath the tales and historical figures we all know, is often shrouded in myth and misinformation. This is the story of the vibrator. I loved the puns. Thanks. <laughs> From- <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> From the ancient tales of Cleopatra's bee-filled gourd, through the steam-powered curiosities of the Victorian era, <laughs> to the sleek, whisper-quiet gadgets of today will separate fact from fiction. This isn't, after all, just a story about a device, but about society's evolving understanding of sexuality, pleasure, and female empowerment. Oh, I'm in! <laughs> <laughs> you just said bee-filled gourd, and I went, <laughs> So, vibrators are widely used with over, and I feel like this is not correct, with over 52% of women in the U.S. having tried one. It has to be more. <laughs> <laughs> I do think like maybe older generations wouldn't have tried them. Yeah. And and I feel like some people probably would Everyone be embarrassed I know to has. admit. Yeah. I feel like people would be embarrassed right. to admit. Yeah. But also a considerable male user base as well. But what actually are the origins of this popular device? Sorry to burst people's bubbles, but contrary to popular belief, the vibrator wasn't initially created as a treatment for hysteria by a doctor. Really? Yeah. This common narrative, while intriguing, doesn't align with the actual history. In fact, the backstory of vibrators is riddled with misconceptions and inaccuracies dating back to the era of Cleopatra. Wow. So I'm going to burst another bubble. Oh, so, God. Yeah. There's a persistent myth that Cleopatra invented the vibrator, possibly using a gourd filled with bees for genital stimulation. Oh, it's not true. I know. I know it's not. This notion was popularized by Brenda Love in her 1992 Encyclopedia of Unusual Sex Practices, where she suggested Cleopatra, all the way back in 40 BC, might have used such a device. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> However, yeah. Did, did other people, like, <laughs> did she just come up with, she was just like, what if? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
historian Helen like, King. My friend Cleopatra. <laughs> Knew each other back in the day. <laughs> historian Helen King highlights the lack of evidence for this claim. There are no ancient texts or archaeological findings to support the idea, and Love's book lacks credible sources for this assertion. Go figure. Did she name herself Love? I don't know, but that would be funny. We love to call out when people right. probably gave themselves It seems names. like a wild coincidence. Highly coincidental. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the diagnosis of hysteria and its link to vibrators is another interesting aspect of their history. Originating from the Greek term hysterica, hysterica, mm-hmm. not sure where the emphasis My firstborn daughter will be named hysterica. Yeah, good. <laughs> Meaning uterus, the concept dates back to the 6th century BC. Greek physician Areteus proposed the theory of a freely moving womb causing various physical and mental health issues in women. Over time, hysteria became a catch-all diagnosis for a range of symptoms in women. I didn't know that that's what it was. They thought it was a freely... Floating around. Yeah. A jellyfish womb? Basically. Yeah. So it was a catch-all diagnosis for a range of symptoms from aggression to fainting and even, a lot of people think now, (laughs) severe endometriosis. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. In the book, Vagina Obscura, shout out to Lexi for sending me some screenshots of this book. Yes. Rachel E. Gross writes that Greek physicians believe the uterus was different from other organs. It was, quote, a beast that prowled, hungry for sex and motherhood. (laughs) (laughs) Says who? (laughs) Men, of course. The aforementioned Atreus of Cappadocia. Hungry hungry for sex and motherhood. Interesting that you would be hungry for those two things simultaneously. Right, yes. Yeah, and you can imagine what, you know, men said the cure was, so. So. Dick. (laughs) (laughs) Taking this dick. (laughs) Yes. Basically. So the aforementioned Atreus of Cappadocia described it. <laughs> the minute gets working. Good. Good. I'm hearing 101% of the words coming I'm out so of your mouth. I'm so glad. <laughs> More than what I'm saying? That's impressive. <laughs> okay. So Arateus of Cappadocia described it as an animal within an animal. Ew. The concept wasn't all that uncommon in Greek times as men's genitalia was also compared to an animal. A snake. that yeah freudian very before freud was around interesting but writes gross quote compared to a man woman was wetter and spongier of flesh sure (laughs) yet her uterus was light and dry this meant it was always on the hunt for moisture a quest that brought it in contact with other internal organs. When it didn't achieve its aims, it grew sullen and melancholy, causing mayhem throughout a woman's body. It squished up against intestines, lungs, and heart, which could make her faint, spasm, or choke. It's like a vampire organ. <laughs> yeah, just like, like just a little leech swarming around. It's like, I'm thirsty. Yeah. I'm very, horny. Very, you better go suck the blood out of your heart. twilight. <laughs> Um, according to Hippocratic texts, the uterus was the origin of all diseases, and these diseases, according to Plato, do you have a do you catch a pattern of all the names I'm mentioning, other than the modern day women writing about history that they're men? Yeah, these diseases, according to Isn't Plato, they're a hundred percent right about every all of their right. claims about the yeah. floating leech uterus. Yeah. <laughs> so. 
These diseases, oh my God, I love men. According to Plato, were caused by a woman not having babies for too long after puberty. Which you know, that's I'm, what a way to justify having sex with girls. Yeah, little, little girls. Yeah, gross. Wow, men. Blech. I'm just going to do that a lot throughout this whole episode. Just throw up. The most commonly described condition was hysterike pre, question mark on pronunciation. I tried to look it up, couldn't find it. Which means suffocation of the womb. This occurred when the uterus, quote unquote, lurched up and down the body. Gross writes, widows and young unmarried women were especially vulnerable to this malady. But when the womb wandered off, it could be tempted back by scent. To attract it upward, the physician waved sweet-smelling substances in front of a lady's nose. To bring it downward, he instead put them near her nether regions. Kind of silly. <laughs> How did they figure out where it was? We'll get there. <laughs> so that, that one's... I just sense. Right, yeah. That one's kind of silly, but there were other not-so-silly things. You know what? It's also, like... They're clearly just making these things up. Like, the common theme is that anyone who isn't having sex all the time with men. Right. Something's going on Mm -hmm. with their womb. Mm -hmm. All your organs are jumbled. Right. So, some of the other quote-unquote cures for this wandering uterus. Mm -hmm. One was fumigation, in which hot air was blown up through a reed into a woman's vagina. Another required bandaging the abdomen tightly in place to keep the womb in place. Another (laughs) required... That's how it works. Right, yeah. Another required our favorite ancient medical practice. Can you guess what it is? Leeching? Bloodletting, yep. This was achieved (laughs) by putting leeches on the labia or even the cervix. In? (laughs) Yeah. If it's on your cervix, it's got to go way up there. You just got a leech wiggling around. I don't know. <laughs> what if it, like, embeds itself I don't know. How big would it get? And can you imagine? I mean, I just think about, like, how much it hurts just to get a colposcopy. Do you think it would like, good to have a leech on your... Absolutely not. On your outside, though? No. You don't think it would feel good to have a leech nibbling on your clitoris? They're sharp. They're sharp? They have to hold on. Do they have teeth? Pretty sure. Okay, well now, uh, right, but I am curious now. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm going to put a leech on my clitoris. <laughs> yeah. It's several. It's like the giant Alaskan bulwark. Okay, but I do feel like they could design a vibrator <laughs> called the leech that I'm onto something. <laughs> Trademark it. Yeah. Trademark it. Don't tell the audience they'll steal the idea. Trademark it. I've got sauerkraut, pimento, grilled cheese, and the leech vibrator. The leech 5000. (laughs) The leech 5000. Okay. Well, we all know what hysterical means today. It's a word used to describe irrational or overly emotional women. But in ancient Greece, it was a medical diagnosis. Or the the ultimate... (laughs) <laughs> Did I just have a stroke? I think so. The ultimate cure was always the same, Gross writes. The holy trinity of marriage, sex, and pregnancy. Intercourse, it was thought... That's the holy trinity? Yep. Mm-hmm. Intercourse, it was thought, introduced moisture and stirred up the body's fluids. Babies, meanwhile... <laughs> right, not incorrect necessarily. Babies, meanwhile, were the uterus's raison d'etre. That's... It. Something she said in that. Reason for... They weighed it down and kept it in its proper place. Uterus. Yeah. 
Soon, <laughs> dissection was becoming common for studying human anatomy. In the second century, Galen, scientist and philosopher, decided, of course, to study the clitoris. <laughs> Yay. Of course he did. In doing so, he confirmed the uterus was not actually floating around in the body. It was held in place by ligaments. Galen concluded that hysteria was actually caused by these ligaments swelling with, according to Gross, <laughs> Galen, blood. You, oh, you were so close. You were so close. <laughs> yeah. He said hysteria was actually caused by li these ligaments swelling with, according to Gross, blood, male seed, or unfertilized female seed, which decayed in the womb and produced harm harmful vapors. Thanks to a woman's wetter nature, she needed to bleed every month to get rid of her body's excess fluid to avoid such a fate. It's always so funny to hear, like, what people thought. Yeah. Like, so recently, too. Right. Yeah. Have you ever... I, I think I've told you about this book, but for the audience, you should read The Mysterious Case of the Exploding Teeth. Oh, yeah. It's a really good book about, that. like, weird medical stuff. I want to read that. Amazing. Yeah, I, I always think about, like, stuff we do now or think right. now and how, like, 100, 200, whatever, mm -hmm. a thousand years from now, people will just look back and be like, you were doing what now? <laughs> One would hope that the discovery of these ligaments would have discredited all the previous means of treatment. But most, like Galen, just wove the indisputable science in with the unproven theories they already held. Some said the womb still moved, but was pulled back by the ligaments. Others continued using scent therapy, arguing it could relax the ligaments. Smelling salts, for example, of the mm -hmm. Victorian area were area? Mm -hmm. Victorian era were kind of used for this uh -huh. because of this idea. Thankfully, the 1800s marked a significant era in technological advancement, and of course, these advancements eventually played a role in sex and pleasure, but probably not in the way you've come to believe. Devices like Dr. George Taylor's steam-powered manipulator were already in existence the in France and in the U.S. But with industrialization revolutionizing many aspects of life, including medicine, English physician Joseph Mortimer Granville invented an electric vibrator in 1883. However, the portrayal of Granville in the 2011 film Hysteria, inspired by Rachel Maine's 1998 book, The Technology of Orgasm, shows Granville and another doctor using manual stimulation to cure patients' ills, ultimately leading to their invention of the vibrator. Mm -hmm. Maine's book and this movie has led many people to think that this is the true origin of the vibrator. And it's no wonder, considering how the history of medicine so closely tied women's illnesses to unfulfilled needs like sex and childbirth. It's mm -hmm. like, well, I, yeah. it's not unrealistic. <laughs> yeah. But both of these, um, the book and the movie, take creative liberties with the facts. According to Maines herself, she says, People just love my hypothesis, and that's all it is, really. It's a hypothesis that women were treated with massage for this disease hysteria and that the vibrator was invented to treat this disease well people just thought this was such a cool idea that people believe it that it's like a fact and i'm like it's a hypothesis it's a hypothesis oh <laughs> so she's like single-handedly like, no. responsible for people this i'm just a girl right <laughs> So <laughs> Helen King, our dear Helen King, who's like, you know, debunking so many things, has thoroughly researched the alleged use of masturbation as a treatment for hysteria in ancient and classical times, only to find, as she did with the gourd, no supporting evidence. Aww. 
I know. Which, well, you know, actually is good. That would be really weird. If not the gourd, that'd be cool. But so that didn't happen. No, like they didn't even do like. There's no record of it. No, which I'll get into what they actually were doing. So Hallie Lieberman, the author of Buzz, The Stimulated History of the Sex Toy, corroborates this view. And despite extensive investigation, Lieberman has not discovered any historical instances of doctors using vibrators for inducing orgasm or paroxysm in their patients. Hmm. Though, when looking at history, if these male doctors were literally prescribing sex as a cure, it's not hard to assume that some of them likely took it upon themselves to provide that cure. That's a thought from me, not from them, to be clear. Um, It just seems like, feels like maybe they did. (laughs) Yeah. If not, then just using it as a means to, like, start sexual relations with people. Be like, I can help. Yeah, because that was part of the case, even with the, what's his name, with the gymnasts. Yeah. That was... Larry. Larry, what was his last name? That he had... Uh, used like private exams yeah. with the girls to mm-hmm. assault them. Right. <clears throat> so I would imagine it just because it wasn't a documented treatment. Right. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah. But if this wasn't true for Granville specifically, what then was the purpose of his vibrator? Yeah. Contrary to what some might assume, it was originally designed to alleviate a range of ailments in men, including pain, headaches, irritability, indigestion, and constipation. In men? Yep. How? Well, it's like, I mean, I have like a massager, like you know, massager. like, you know, that would, it relieves headaches because I put so it, it back like here. So it was the first massager? Yeah, basically it seems like it. Interesting. Granville was aware of its potential sexual applications and even employed it in treating male sexual dysfunction, but there is no record of him using it on women, which is interesting. Yeah. During this period, manually operated models like Dr. Makara. Mac- 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 Makara. Say it with your tooth! <laughs> Dr. Makara's Pulsicon <laughs> gained popularity. These hand crank vibrators, which didn't require electricity, were marketed as blood circulators. Wow. Claiming to quickly alleviate pain and cure chronic conditions. Hand crank. Yeah, can you imagine? I wonder how long you had to crank it. <laughs> right. <laughs> In the 1900s, the medical community did make efforts to use these vibrators for treating various diseases on a broader, more regulated level, but with limited success. And by 1915, the American Medical Association dismissed the therapeutic claims of the vibrator industry. So what are the vibrator manufacturers going to do now that the medical community had discredited the most common use of their products? They shift their marketing strategy, Mm -hmm. of course. They began promoting vibrators as general home appliances, suitable for all genders and ages. Not necessarily sexual in nature just yet. At least they weren't marketed as such. Home appliances appropriate for all ages. (laughs) Instead, vibrators were advertised in mainstream and religious publications. One of these include, like the New York Times advertised these, Mm -hmm. claiming to cure everything from wrinkles to malaria. Question mark. Interesting. <laughs> These products were available in department stores and mail order catalogs with Good Housekeeping magazine featuring reviews of different models. I wonder what they were reviewing them for. <laughs> I don't know. Like just a massager? What else yeah. would you use it as? I can't imagine. I mean, I think, so it seems like they were still sort of marketed as a massager. Yeah. 
but they couldn't make the same claims that they used to be making that it was right, a that cure. that it has all these, like, medical advantages. Right. Okay. As I mentioned, despite the suggestive language in some advertisements, like a 1908 ad for the Bebout vibrator designed by a woman who knows a woman's needs, that's what the ad said, mm. explicit references to masturbation were conspicuously absent. This omission was largely due to the social stigma surrounding masturbation and legal restrictions under the 1873 Comstock Act. And this is, this stuff was so interesting. So the Comstock Act classified obscene articles as illegal in the U.S. to circumvent legal issues, vibrator manufacturers, like contraceptive companies, emphasized their non-sexual uses, but employed euphemistic language and imagery, which I didn't know that about contraceptive I didn't either. Companies having to adjust that as well. The era's social norms dictated that male sexuality, obviously, was more openly discussed than female sexuality. Do you think that's where using birth control, like, as, oh, it's for acne or it's for Yeah, just stopping painful periods. Like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Which it does do, but... Right, yeah. Hormonal imbalance. Mm -hmm. So... Male sexuality was obviously more openly discussed than female sexuality, which is why vibrators were advertised as treatments for male impotence rather than women's sexual use. While many vibrators came with attachments resembling dildos, these were officially for treating uterine complaints and constipation, mm-hmm. which is basically just like shoved it up either either one. Because <laughs> well, you can still use them for um, mm-hmm. like pelvic floor and, yeah. and childbirth and mm-hmm. stuff. So. It would make sense to right. be like, oh no, it's just for right, yeah, women's health. Just like strengthening my pelvic floor. Yeah. Preparing for childbirth. That would get them off your back. So a result of this, of course. They're like, ew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to know anything about childbirth. And as long as you're preparing for childbirth, which is your job as a woman, then we're approval. Right. Approving of it. Right. Carrying yeah. out your civil duty. Right. Yes. Of repopulating the earth. Right. A result of this is, of course, that some began voicing concerns about potential sexual applications of vibrators. Mm-hmm. Because how dare women experience pleasure? Yeah. How dare you enjoy the thing that right. we want you to do all the time? Right. Yeah. Ugh. That idea alone is just, which maybe we'll end up talking about that. But Yeah, I want to talk about that at yeah. the end. So during the 1920s to the 1950s, the perception and marketing of vibrators underwent significant changes. In 1954, Alfred Kinsey released influential research on female sexuality, revealing that, this also has to be a lie, 62% of women surveyed had masturbated. Girls, don't lie on surveys. (laughs) (laughs) Who is that helping? Helping nobody. I guarantee it's more than 62% of women. Have have you tried once? (laughs) When were these surveys done? Uh, 1954. I wonder, I really genuinely wonder if it's changed because I feel like there's just... Oh, I bet. I I feel like the shame, even if more people were like Mm -hmm. masturbating at the time, I feel like the shame around it was so much greater that... That's why I feel like people lied lied about. Yeah. 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 Even on an anonymous survey. Right. So this study didn't specifically address the use of vibrators. It was just general masturbation. Interesting. So around the same time, the FDA started to scrutinize the vibrator market. So first it was American Medical Association, now it's the FDA. Their concern wasn't related to the association of vibrators with masturbation, but rather with the misleading claims of vibrators being touted as a cure for various health issues, including weight loss. 
The FDA declared that the benefits of vibration were confined to the temporary alleviation of minor physical ailments, which reminds me of like all but like shake weights. Yes, I was just thinking the shake weights and also the pads you stand the, on that vibrate. The, there's like a little yeah. harness thing that shakes you. Yeah. And they're like, we're just going to shake that weight off. It would probably feel nice. Yeah. I have cool. a little neck pain that I think... I mean, I love my... I think my... something is just shaking me for a half hour would yeah. feel nice. I got the massage gun for yeah. Christmas and it's great. My parents have one of those. Yeah. And I definitely... Or massage chair. Those are great. This is going to make my parents... They're not listening to this. I <laughs> My parents have a massage gun and I had like this pain in my... I have an ongoing pain in mm-hmm. one of my hips that just is relentless and the last yeah. time I was at their house they're like oh you should try this on it and I was like okay so I tried on like the lowest setting on my hip and I'm like I'm sorry this is too close to my <laughs> vagina <laughs> oh and I'm sitting on the floor like my whole family is sitting yeah. around me and I'm like oh. <laughs> and they're like don't you love it and I'm like oh. <laughs> 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 I I was like, uh, I don't know if that's Ruby. Yeah. Orders one online. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so they were still becoming more popular despite these, the FDA being like, guys, these don't actually work. <laughs> so electric vibrators like the Polar Cub were touted as the exceptional beauty. It's the yeah, names are wild. Me. Yeah. So that one was touted as an exceptional beauty aid promising transformative effects on a woman's face and body. So it was also like shaking your face. Yeah. That would probably feel nice. Yeah, probably. I I use, I mean, I go too high with that one on the back of my neck and it just vibrates my skull. Like there, there are, I don't know how powerful these ones were, but there are some like dangers if you use them incorrectly, like the massagers. Advertisements for products like the Arnold vibrator boasted of delivering flawless complexions and youthful figures, eliminating the need for cosmetics and other enhancements. Wow. Right. In 1956, Sears released its own vibrator. Wow. Marketed for inducing a great to be alive feeling Wow. Get a washing machine and a vibrator. Right. Place. Everything. They had everything. <laughs> then in the 19 or the 1960s and the 1970s marked a turning point with masturbation increasingly seen as a form of liberation. Yeah. Obviously. Hippies, free love, all that kind of stuff. The advent of the birth control pill and changing attitudes towards premarital sex led to more open discussions about masturbation. Betty Dodson, queen a sex educator and artist actually began conducting women-only masturbation workshops in New York City in the late 1960s. Love that. Yeah. Initially using devices like an Oster and the Panasonic Panasonic Panabrator, Dodson later recommended the one and only Hitachi Magic Wand, contributing to its status as one of the most iconic vibrators. In the 1974- Do you have a magic wand? No. That's too big. I don't either. That's exactly my feedback as well. It's just, it's just I don't want to have to hold that. <laughs> I, I think, yeah. I Maybe I need to take a workshop because in my mind, I'm like, <laughs> how? And also, why? Yeah. <laughs> so in a 1974 Miss Magazine article, Dodson advocated for masturbation as a means for women to reclaim sexual self-knowledge suppressed by societal norms. So she even, she recommended the use of a vibrator for its consistent and strong stimulation. 
especially beneficial for women who hadn't yet experienced orgasm, yep. which I thought was really cool. And yep. I have some things about that later that we can talk about that theory specifically. Mm-hmm. British doctor Alex Comfort also praised vibrators in his 1972 book, The Joy of Sex, suggesting their ability to elicit sexual sensation on almost any woman. Next, we'll go into some legal stuff. So I think now is a good time for a break. A break. Break me off a piece of that bad woman. Oh, that was good. (laughs) Wow. I think I've been smarter in the last 48 hours than I have been (laughs) in all of my life. You know, like I had had two back-to-back incredible ideas last night. One was I am throwing a party to celebrate my divorce being finalized. Mm -hmm. And I thought of a shot called Tequila Marriage that Mm -hmm. is just a tequila shot with a a ring pop chaser. Right. Hilarious. Then I invented the sauerkraut pimento grilled cheese. Right. And then whatever I just did. Oh, break me off a piece of that bad bad woman. Yeah. We interrupt this broadcast for our new segment, Women Behaving Badly, featuring naughty women of today. Um, I am loving right now <laughs> and forever Pamela mm-hmm. Anderson, but specifically yeah. this cottage core era of Pamela mm-hmm. Anderson, where she's just not wearing makeup, letting her air- hair air dry, wearing couture clothing, prancing around, not giving a flying fuck. Mm-hmm. She moved back to her family's farm. All she does is post pictures of her with big baskets of vegetables and flowers. Mm-hmm. And I... Yeah, I love it. Love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. She's like, oh, you have this image of me that you created? Yeah. Fuck that. Fuck you. It's like how Paris Hilton is like, you really fell for it. (laughs) Because she's like wicked smart, actually, and her voice is not that way. Yeah, I love this era of Paris Hilton. I love this era of Britney Spears. Mm -hmm. I love that like this is a time where women who are kind of... I think social media is a big part of this. Like, I yeah. feel like women where we were told who they are, mm-hmm. specifically by men mm-hmm. in the media mm-hmm. and women, but and but curated like, images. Yes. Yeah. And, and now they're telling us who they are and who they've always been. Right. And especially these women who were just really done dirty yeah. by media. I love that they're now like. <laughs> This is real. This is me. But I love Pamela Anderson not wearing makeup, especially because she's she's older. It's not like a 20-year-old being like, oh, I'm going makeup free. It's like, well, no shit. Right. Like, you know you she's look amazing. going to get terrible comments. Yeah. And she does look amazing, first yeah, of all. Yeah, she does. But she is older. And I yeah. just love that she's like... I just love it. Yeah. I love that she's just embracing it. And like, yeah, I just love who I am. And... Mm-hmm. Yay. Yay. Love that. Good I also her. love that she hated that Hulu show about her. And yeah. And was just so openly like, yeah, they asked me to do it. And you said no. I said no. Was that now they Sebastian Stan? Mm-hmm. And I watched it like the series was good, but I get why she didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Because she wasn't involved. Yeah. And it wasn't really her. It was still yeah. me telling. It was very fictionalized. That narrative about mm-hmm. her. And I think it was a little more sympathetic to her than other things I've seen. Mm-hmm. And I think that was definitely their intent. Yeah. But it still wasn't her story. Right. And I just love that, like, she could so easily have, like, hopped on the bandwagon of, Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, like, you know, whatever. And she just was like, fuck that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, into, like, I feel like there's an interesting um, transition with aging in, in general of, like, 
accepting the way people view you yes. is changing. And I felt that even going into 30s and being like, I'm not like, I think I, I look young. I am young. 30 is young. Yeah. But it's sure. still an age where it's like, okay, maybe you don't have as much. Unfortunately, it's all too easy to care about how like you, attractive you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that transition can be really, really hard for women when like we live in a place that in a society that puts so much value on your ability to be beautiful, beautiful and, and young. And when that starts going away naturally as it will, yeah. like conventionally, youthfully beautiful, then I think that specific transition of like the even just realizing you don't turn heads, you yes. know? And I think I imagine, I don't, I'm not like putting this onto her. I don't know how she's experiencing, but I think I would find it very hard in her shoes, even if I didn't like the reputation I had to suddenly like not be a desirable object. Yeah. 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 I, I wonder though, like, I feel like part of where her like very obvious freedom is coming from Mm -hmm. is like her being desired so significantly took away from people being able to see who she actually was. Yeah. Everything people saw of her was just their desire for her. Yeah. And so I imagine getting older and losing that would be so freeing in her shoes. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like we didn't see her for as as much for a long time. And then she yeah. stepped into this age where she is older. Mm-hmm. Like she looks physically older. And yeah. I almost feel like, I wonder if that's where this is coming from. Yeah. Where like she isn't put in this box mm-hmm. anymore where she can kind of, it's like the first time in her career and in her life right. that she can just be Pamela. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And she's so beautiful. Like she mm-hmm. did a interview when she was getting ready for Paris Fashion Week that was, and she welcomes them into her room and usually they do a big interview while you're in the chair and you're getting your mm-hmm. hair and makeup done and it shows the whole behind the scenes. And she was like, um, yeah, I don't have a team. I just took a bath. I put on my skincare. I'm letting my hair air dry and love I have it. this lovely outfit by the designer that I'm going to see and I'm so excited and I'm just you know, trying to enjoy my day in the, in a beautiful city. And I was like, you have cracked a code yeah, <laughs> that, that the rest of us aren't ready yeah. for, you know, and, and I just loved it. And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. Yay! Yay! So far, we've talked about hysteria, all that kind of stuff. Talked about the changes in, like, social acceptance of just sex and masturbation in general in the 60s and 70s. But what about, like, law... In particular. So despite this growing openness, masturbation remained a taboo subject. A 1974 study showed that while 61% of women masturbated, as we discussed earlier, which I sure is much higher, 25% experienced feelings of guilt or fear of insanity. Interesting. Legal restrictions also persisted, exemplified by Texas, of course, 1973 obscene device law. (laughs) which banned devices primarily designed for genital simulation. Interesting. Right. Of course, it's Texas. To navigate these legal constraints, companies began labeling vibrators as personal massagers. It's like the word vibrator in particular was like... This era also saw the opening of the first women-run sex shop, Eve's Garden. Oh. Um, Yeah, the the sex shop (laughs) in New York further signifying the evolving attitudes towards sexual liberation and the role of vibrators in this shift. The 
1980s and 1990s marked a significant period in the mainstream acceptance of masturbation, with the rabbit vibrator becoming a cultural icon. Yeah. In 1983, the sex toy company Vibratex introduced vibrators with both internal and external components to the U.S. market. These vibrators, manufactured in Japan, were designed in bright colors and animal shapes to to circumvent Japan's obscenity laws, which is just on brand for Japan. Make it cute. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) So among these, the rabbit vibrator, as I mentioned, gained extraordinary fame, especially after being featured in a 1998 episode of Sex in the City. I was about to say, yeah. Mm -hmm. I I haven't watched Sex in the City, so. Because they have like topical episodes. There's a whole episode just on vibrators and it kind of like explores, do you even need a boyfriend if right. you have a vibrator yeah. kind of thing like yeah by the 2010s vibrators had become more accessible and popular yet they still face societal to taboos taboos women's and sex positive adult stores like eve's garden paved the way for vibrators to be sold in mainstream outlets such as cbs and target mm-hmm. the internet further eased access allowing discreet purchases from home Vibrators even made their way into daytime TV discussions. For example, Dr. Laura Berman on The Oprah Winfrey Show suggested that mothers give vibrators to their teenage daughters to explore sexual pleasure. Despite this, there was still evident stigma, as seen in 2010 when MTV refused to air a Trojan vibrator ad unless the word vibrator was removed. MTV did that? Yeah. Wow. But they were accepting erectile dysfunction ads. Yeah, and like the music videos they play right. are, yeah. are weird. Sex. Yeah. sex on a stick. Right. <laughs> yeah. Legal restrictions on va- vibrators continue in some regions. Alabama had, in 1998, outlawed the sale of devices primarily intended for genital stimulation with penalties including fines and jail time. Nerds. Yeah. This law, <laughs> this law led to at least two arrests. Similarly, the night 19- so humid in Alabama. It's just so horny. <laughs> They're like, it was our vibrator. <laughs> The 1973 Texas anti-vibrator law that we mentioned, it remained in effect, though it was deemed unconstitutional and unenforceable, unenforceable, by a judge in 2008. Go that judge. Mm-hmm. Internationally, the legality of vibrator... Oh my God, man! Wow, I'm, I'm, I just, the <laughs> first half I did fine. <laughs> Internationally, the legality of vibrators varied, with bans or unclear laws in countries like the Maldives, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Thailand, Malaysia, India, and Vietnam, some of the big ones. In 2007, a significant legal decision came when a federal appeals court upheld Alabama's law that prohibited the sale of sex toys. This law, known as the Anti-Obscenity Enforcement Act of 1998, was further affirmed by the Alabama Supreme Court on September 11, 2009. I do find it hilarious. Not to um, stereotype, but I think it's funny that a state that the most common thing people say when you say Alabama is about cousins fucking your cousin. Yeah. And they ban. They're like, well, you can fuck your cousin, but you can't like it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's really wild. Yeah. Not that not that you all you all are doing that necessarily, but you are known for it widely right yes in february 2008 a contrasting legal development occurred when a u.s federal appeals court overturned a texas statute that banned the sales of vibrators and other sexual toys 
This Yeehaw. decision. Yeehaw, baby. This decision was based on the argument that such a ban infringed upon the right to privacy as guaranteed by the 14th Amendment. Yeah, which is interesting that it has to be about privacy and not about like, it's okay to masturbate. The court referenced the landmark case, Lawrence v. Texas, where the U.S. Supreme Court in 2003 struck down laws prohibiting consensual sex between gay couples, viewing these laws as unconstitutional attempts to enforce public morality by restricting private conduct. Yes. Similar laws have since been invalidated in many states, Colorado and Kansas included, were the two that this one, this source listed. As of 2009, Alabama remained the only state with a law prohibiting the sale of sex toys, although residents could purchase them with a doctor's note. Wait, they still don't? I purchased a, a sex toy in Alabama. <laughs> you did? Nice. But on the internet. Yeah, I didn't know exactly. I was committing a crime. Right. Did you ever see like a, you know, Christie's toy box? I think there was a sex store, mm. but it, sure I think it was store. like more of like a lingerie store. Yeah. Could be just the products they were allowed to carry were different. Yeah. Jacob M. Appel, an American bioethicist, which I didn't know was a thing. Okay, Jacob. Yeah. And medical historian has been vocal about the societal role of sex toys. He argues that they are a social good and refers to them as marital substitutes, playing a significant role in the emotional lives of many Americans. Appel's perspective highlights the importance of recognizing the personal and emotional value of these devices in the context of American society. Vibrators are also linked to positive sexual function and health-promoting behaviors. Yeah. That wasn't necessarily from him specifically, but just in general, there are a lot of studies about that. Technological advancements in vibrators have been remarkable. Yeah. Ranging from... <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> I mean, if you, look yeah, at the, if you look at some of the pictures... That I posted, like, in, in our dashboard. It's yeah, like, well, yeah, they've changed. Thank yeah. God. Those changes range yeah, from... Like the shape of that one she's holding. Yeah. That's not something you insert. No. It? No. But also, like, how would that... I don't know if that would even... Mm -mm. They look very much like massagers. Like, they didn't really develop yeah. for, like, very, very specifically masturbation until later. The one I keep getting an ad for has the most graphic ad and it absolutely always comes up while I'm at the gym. Comes. Like in between sets at the gym, I'll be on Instagram <laughs> and it 100% of the time serves me this ad that's so graphic. Yeah. Like it's a mannequin. It's not like a person. Right. It's like a little dummy mm -hmm. vagina butthole situation. But it's... <laughs> Every single time it comes up, I'm like, fuck me. I, yeah. Someone just saw that on my phone and was like, are you watching porn at the gym? <laughs> and I'm like, kind of. Kind of. Not, not intentionally. <laughs> <sighs> They're mannequins. Yeah. Me flipping my phone around. They're not real. Look. <laughs> it's I just swear. a very realistic model. <laughs> um, so these advancements range from eco-friendly rechargeable models to high-grade medical silicone designs with diverse speeds, rhythms, and motions, which does anybody use more than the first three options? No, I probably not. I don't think so. They need to just do less, yeah. I think. It's not impressive when it says 11 options. I was like, okay. <laughs> also, if you hit the button accidentally and then you have to cycle and through you just 10 <laughs> speeds. <laughs> so <laughs> like, do a little less. Yeah. <laughs> the 
market also offers compact bullet vibes, hands-free options, multi-stimulation vibrators, and even luxury sex jewelry like the million-dollar Pearl Royal. What? I put the picture, I think, in the thing. It's literally a million dollars. It's like diamond encrusted or something. Okay. Yeah. That don't impress <laughs> me much. Oh, so. oh, oh. You've got, <laughs> got diamonds. diamonds. Do you have the touch? Okay. I think that's Smart. a dumb thing to spend a million dollars on. Yeah, but. I think it is too. Smart vibrators now feature programmable settings, remote control, and synchronization with music, which I haven't seen any ads for stuff like that, but cool. Oh. Despite these advancements, Vibrators are often still marked as massagers or novelties. Mm -hmm. Female masturbation continues to be portrayed in various negative lights, contrasting with the open promotion of male sexual ads like Viagra. Yeah. They're literally, Viva Viagra! Do you remember that commercial specifically? Yeah, and it's just some old guy like, hey, baby. Yeah, he's talking to his buddies. I've never felt younger. He's like with his guy friends, and he's like telling them how he's like, Horny again. Yeah, and then they're sitting in Adirondack chairs. And then chairs. they're like singing. <laughs> yeah, it's so always weird. Adirondack yes. chairs. Yeah, in plaid somewhere. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I I don't think... Here, here's a hot take. I, I'm sorry <laughs> if this offends people. I don't think an Adirondack chair is the sexiest chair there is. First of all, it's very low to the ground. Who's yeah. having sex in an Adirondack? Oh, literally sexy. You're taking this very literally? Well, it's it, it's the exclusive chair of any sex-related Oh, I see, I see, I see. Ad. Yeah. Especially with the elder folk. Right. Yeah, get like a chaise lounge. I'm sorry. When you have 60-year-old knees, you're not having sex in an Adirondack. Mm-mm. No. Yeah, you need a chaise lounge. Yeah. I agree. hundred <laughs> percent. The history and societal attitudes towards vibrators demonstrate a fluctuating pattern rather than a straightforward progression from repression to liberation, as we've seen with like most of the patterns we've discussed on yeah. every episode. The onset of the coronavirus pandemic in early 2020 yeah. actually significantly impacted the sex toy market. That's people, Right. As people around the world found themselves confined to their homes with an abundance of time, there was a notable surge in interest in exploring and understanding personal sexuality. Yeah. Which I think also was like sexuality in general. Like I know a lot of people were like, pandemic turned me gay. It's like, it didn't turn you gay. It was just like a time of people kind of yeah. figuring out who they are. And that, yeah, and I also think it would be like a much higher risk to have, like if you're not in a relationship. Right. It would be a much higher risk to like have a casual sexual mm -hmm. relationship yeah where you would be exposing yourself or potentially exposing right. yourself every time so mm -hmm. like i get why yeah 100 percent. i get why people would be like mm. right if there's ever a time in your life mm -hmm. you're gonna buy a vibrator it would be during a global pandemic yeah. yeah this shift in focus led to a marked increase in the sale of sex toys with many customers purchasing these items in bulk apparently Oh. The trend was partly driven by concerns that the pandemic might halt production for an indeterminate period. So everybody sure. talks about toilet paper, but apparently also vibrators were then bought in bulk. <laughs> That's an uh, How many do you need? Yeah. Am I not living large enough? I guess maybe not. The growing interest in sexual exploration and pleasure facilitated a more mainstream acceptance of vibrators. As a result, vibrators began to enjoy better representation in popular culture, contributing to a broader and more open conversation about women's pleasure in general. The pandemic, thus, played a pivotal role in changing perceptions and discussions around sexual wellness and the use of sex toys. Thanks, COVID. Thanks, COVID. I reached out to some people. I won't name names. 
Yay. To get some funny stories first. I'll go into the but funny I stories. I will guess who they are. <laughs> and I will delete from the pod. Yeah. <laughs> and then I have some of their thoughts in general that are a little bit more kind of discussion points. Fun. This person, when I finally decided to treat myself to a nice sex toy, not off Nasty Gal. If you know, you know. If you order off Nasty Gal, most delivery people are just like, oh, cool, clothes, and won't judge you for ordering a sex toy. This new sex toy was so expensive and also so out of character that it flagged on my card and I had to call and tell them <laughs> that, no, that was in fact me purchasing a sex toy. <laughs> that have to be like, yeah. Wow, how much was it? I don't know. That's wild. Yeah. Right. This has been a good one. I feel like it would have to be several hundreds to fly yeah. on your card. Mm -hmm. This person said, I actually didn't buy my first one. I was on spring break in Panama City, my junior year of college, and I met a guy from South Carolina. And we started dating long distance. And he bought one and mailed it to me Aww. as a part of an incredibly sweet package with a hoodie of his and some candy that he knew I liked and a box of condoms. It was just a delightful little long distance relationship care package. And that's how I got my first one. Cute. That's really cute and sweet. I am questioning the condoms for a long distance relationship because right. what do you need them for? Well, so this person also said that I didn't put this part in there, but there was an inside joke with like a specific kind of condom oh. that they had that I was like, I don't know how to explain this necessarily. So I took that part out. He wasn't like, get ready for right. me, baby. Yeah, exactly. This person said- Or like, have fun. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> this person said her parents were helping her clean out her house. And her Quip toothbrush was on her nightstand. It was a very small apartment. The bathroom was gross. So she kept, she brushed her teeth in her kitchen and kept things on her nightstand. And her mom told her dad it was a vibrator. And her dad had to do laps outside because he was so upset. Even dad. though that wasn't true. This friend then joked with her mom that it wouldn't ever be that small. Like that thin. Yeah. But her mom could dish it, but not take it. And apparently was then deeply uncomfortable because she could do the joke herself to this person's dad. Yeah. But couldn't take the joke when this friend was like... Mom sounds like a narc. I would obviously have a bigger vibrator than that. So those are the funny, funny little story tidbits that I got. <laughs> I love the one about having to like call the credit card people. Yeah. Like, no, I'm just... Yeah. So I'm investing in myself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. I have a few topics. First was an interesting comment about like religion and purity culture. Mm. So this person said, most women who grew up in the church that I know, that she knows, were gifted their first vibrator by a friend of either the same background that had their own coming of age or by someone outside the church who didn't have the same hiccups about self-pleasure. I got my own, but I still had one, my sister, two, my sister's friend, and three, Maggie, me, <laughs> joke about buying me one before I bit the bullet myself. There's a pun in there somewhere. <laughs> Funny. So, yeah. Well, one, I've been that friend who's like, you just need to do it. Yeah. And I've, I think I'm, uh, with the people that I grew up with in church, it's often been that way. A lot of them were gifted their first because it's like a... Oh, like, it's okay. Let me show yes, you the light. Yes, like <laughs> someone's kind of like, you need to, it's not in a weird way at all. It's just like, it's just a little get, push. Yeah, get a, get a vibrator. Like, or you I deserve like, it. It's I fun. also feel like I've heard a lot of my friends who have never bought one, like, really 
talk about it for a long time. Like, oh, I'm I'm going to, I'm planning mm-hmm. to, oh, I, I'm curious about it. I want to try it. And like years pass. Right. So I think like the gift is a nice thing. Yeah. I also think it can be overwhelming. Like mm-hmm. if you were raised in purity culture. Yeah. It, there's so much shame around it. And I think like even just having to do like a Google search of like, well, I don't know. Yeah. You know? I think especially our age and older, like there weren't brands that I knew. I didn't know how to search for it. It wasn't accessible, I felt like. Like, you had to no. go to a store, which, like, if it's your first time walking into a Spencer's or a Christie's toy box, it, uh, you feel uncomfortable. Embarrassed, yeah. Yeah, because especially if you grew up in that kind of environment. And so I think I think that is, like, a really sweet thing that, you know, women and non-binary folks and LGBTQ in particular go through when they kind of are working their way out of this really kind of restrictive purity culture is, like, a, there's always, like, someone there kind of waiting for you to... Yeah. Step into it. I also think that's true for straight men. Yeah. Because I think a lot of straight men don't want to buy sex toys for themselves. Mm -hmm. And like most of the straight men I know are very uncomfortable with that idea. Even if like masturbation is totally Mm -hmm. like is very, a very different energy around male, straight male masturbation. It's much more acceptable. It's much more acceptable, but I have always found it interesting that it's like, there's like this weird kind of stigma around like increasing their pleasure and experimenting on their own instead of experimenting with a woman. And there's not as much of a, I think like a natural mentorship Mm -hmm. that men have with each other. Like they're not going to necessarily talk about specifics. I don't feel like they talk about pleasure in general as much when it's like you and I have talked about like what works and what doesn't and what kind of orgasms do you have? (laughs) Like have you ever tried that? Have you ever done this? this? We talk about it more than we should probably. probably. Yeah and I feel like there's like this weird line I think with straight men where it's kind of like shame around their own pleasure. I think like there's this weird stigma around like certain Mm -hmm. things being gay yeah, that it's like, oh, well, like, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, I don't want to be gay. And it's like, it's not gay. Your body was designed right. this way. Yes. Like, you know, the, the attraction and yeah. pleasure are not the same thing. Right, yeah. Like, especially if you're alone. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, but I always uh, have found that curious. Yes. So the next topic that I have is about desensitization. Mm, yeah. So this person said, people talk about desensitization. And I think that's one of those things that comes and goes like your libido. Yeah. I already have thoughts. If we want to yeah. just chat Well, basically it. like I've also had that discussion with people before who are yeah. afraid to use vibrators, friends of mine who have like, well, I don't want to become desensitized. I don't want to then never enjoy sex with a person if they're yeah. looking for a partner. And it's like, well, one, there's so there are syndromes you can get if you don't ever have <laughs> sexual yes. stimulation, which are scary and dangerous. And two, it's like it is like a come and go thing. I think if you're going, going, going multiple times a day for like a week, mm-hmm. you're going to probably get tired just in general. But it's not like you don't then reset. Yeah. It's not like you like break it. I actually saw a video by a sex therapist on Instagram. Uh, Vanessa, I want to say her last name is Morin or Marin. She's a sex and relationship Mm -hmm. therapist. And she made a video about this that was probably like the most detailed I have found. And it was saying you can desensitize yourself, not like your actual Mm -hmm. physical 
body. Yeah. It's not like you're going to like break your clitoris. Right. <laughs> but you can desensitize yourself in the sense that if you always use the same vibrator in the same way and that's the only way you reach an orgasm or if you're only like you'll need the exact same right you know whatever step-by-step things Mm -hmm. to reach an orgasm yeah you will have a harder time reaching an orgasm in another way right or you could it's not for everyone but you could have a harder time Mm -hmm. so i think a lot of what a lot of women are, are experiencing with this when they're talking about it is that you might be using one vibrator in the same way. You might have the same mental image. You might be doing the same. Mm-hmm. I'm in this area of my home. I'm doing this, whatever, routine. Right. Your little masturbation routine. <laughs> and then you have sex with a partner. Yeah. And you can't orgasm. Right. And it's because they're doing something different. And because so many couples are afraid to use toys during... That was the other thing I was going to say yeah. is people are like, well, I'll never enjoy it with a man again. And it's like... Uh, use your vibrator that you like right. with a man. And it's so, so common for women to not be able to get there. Yes. Like, especially with just penetration. Like, there's a lot of studies on that so in common. particular. It is okay Yeah, if you need more, like, yeah. stimulation, I've even in a relationship. I've heard friends say, like, oh, they've, they've had an orgasm just from penetration. Right. That doesn't mean you have to every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is the concern around asking, oh, hey, I have a vibrator I right. really like. Can we use that? Especially because women can get there more often if things are done right. And yes. That's not as common for men. So, like, the first time maybe shouldn't be penetration if you want to get there more than once, you know? Like, yeah, mix it's it like, up. Yeah, mix it up. I think that alone and with a partner yeah mix it up I think is like usually kind Mm -hmm. of the best way yeah and then I wanted to bring up mutual masturbation (laughs) yeah because that's I think something I have felt like people are the most uncomfortable Mm -hmm. with and I have heard a lot of sex therapists say that that's like a great way to get closer to a partner to learn more about your partner to have Mm -hmm. your partner learn more about you I think it like makes people feel so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and I think more people should do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that also is where I think boys, straight men should get sex toys because I feel like a lot of men are like, well, if I'm going to masturbate, I just want to do it by myself. And And it's like, well, that's fine to enjoy masturbating by yourself. But like, there's just so much more on the menu that you can try. Why not just try? Yeah. And I think for straight men, the idea is also like, you just quick yeah one and, and done it's like they're come on chill out like every the jokes are that foreplay is for like the woman and it's like it do, you can enjoy it mm-hmm. slow down yeah this slow is down. for you too like enjoy there are it. more ways to get sexual gratification within a sexual experience than just the sex itself and it makes me so sad when straight men say that like the whole time they're having sex they're just like trying not to come or trying to yeah. think about something else and it's like I would, I, maybe this is a controversial thing to say, but I think that's where like things like using vibrators with a partner Mm -hmm. or mutual masturbation or like having other options that aren't just penetration. It takes that pressure off of that Mm -hmm. male partner to Mm -hmm. not like, it's like the two pump chump or whatever. It's like, I would rather have a partner enjoy something fully for a minute Mm -hmm. and then be open to other things. Right. Yeah. And have like this weird where you're not even present in the moment. Right. Exactly. Would I, would my first choice be to have you fully be present and enjoy it for more than a minute? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> okay. So this next part is about like 
gray romantic yeah arrow ace self-pressure so this fr- friend said it's funny whenever i talk about masturbation with friends and family people are astounded since i identify as asexual and have been absent my whole life as if a hetero penetrative sex and a cis woman's pleasure have to be directly correlated or linked at all times it's also interesting commentary between arousal and attraction you don't necessarily have to have the latter in order to experience the former and pleasure doesn't have to be a performative reciprocal action which Yes. Mom, if you're listening, this is what I'm going to talk about myself a little bit. You can skip forward. Our moms <laughs> are not allowed to listen to this episode. Sorry. They might. <laughs> they might. That's your business with right. God, Mom. Yeah. So I'm gray romantic, as I've said. So if you've been listening, you know this. And I don't date. I don't like having people over to my house. I don't like going to other people's houses. Like, yeah. you know, make draw the conclusions you will about what that means for my sex life. Yeah. They're probably right. Uh, And that's how I like it. (laughs) That is great and fine for me. Especially, so I think for me, having grown up in the church, it's very much like you wait till marriage, you know, you wait till marriage. Yeah. And so I feel like when people, especially when like women are like older and they're not going to get married anytime soon, either because they don't want to or they're not dating, they haven't found someone. The idea of just restricting your access to pleasure. Yeah. Even if you're not waiting for marriage, you're just waiting for a committed partner. Mm -hmm. Like the idea of restricting your access to pleasure is so sad to me because like, I think even, I I, I think if you really got down to it with some religious people in general, if you were to have a serious discussion about what about people who never get married, should they literally never have any pleasure? Yeah. Or who don't want to have sex with other people? Should they literally never have any pleasure? And I think- a lot of people would probably be like, oh, that's kind of a good point. Even with religion, because the, the default is that you will find a partner and you will get married and you will have sex with other people. Mm-hmm. And I think when people start realizing that there's that's not the case for everybody, there's a yeah. little bit more leniency within some like more progressive, you know, religious circles where it's like, oh, maybe, you know, that's a good thing. That's, I was about to say some of the less progressive circles, I think they would say you shouldn't because especially for women, that pleasure is for your husband. Yes. And if it's not for your husband, then it's sinful. And I think that narrative is just, I think it is the root of so many abusive Mm -hmm. relationships where you see your body and your pleasure as a commodity for your partner Mm -hmm. as something that they have ownership of as Mm -hmm. something that they're entitled to whenever they want it Mm -hmm. and I think it is bad for both parties Mm -hmm. when you have that dynamic in a relationship and I even you had said something about pleasure ebbing and flowing and I think that's like a supernatural part of a marriage on Mm -hmm. both ends where like you're not always gonna be in a season of life where you want to have sex all the time yeah and I think for women in particular who are in heterosexual relationships, mm-hmm. the idea that you have to pretend that you are when you aren't right for your husband is su- such a mm-hmm. hard, sad yeah. way to live your life. Yeah. Because you don't owe that to them. No. And it's okay to be mm-hmm. go. It's okay to be like, I'm really stressed. I'm yeah. really depressed. I might not want to have sex this month. That mm-hmm. doesn't make me not a sexual being. Yeah. And you as my partner should be supportive of that mm-hmm. and respectful of it. And we should be able to talk about it. And, and I think that narrative is the root of a lot of those issues yeah. in 
in relationships. And I think the partner who is in the mood should have an outlet. I think there is a lot of danger within relationships to think that masturbation is like cheating. I've heard that a lot. I've heard people say that too. And I think that especially if we were to let go of that idea that a lot more women in particular would not end up feeling obligated in those Mm -hmm. times when they're not interested. Yeah. Because their husband is allowed, their partner is allowed an an outlet. Allowed is not necessarily the word I like there. You're allowed. So I have two, I have two things because I, I have two thoughts on this (laughs) because I think the one thing is even if you're not in a relationship where it's seen as cheating, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes on both sides, there can be guilt. Yeah. If you're not in a place where you're sexually satisfied by your partner Mm -hmm. and then you hear that they're masturbating. Yeah. It feels like, oh, well, it's not you. It's Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. On both sides, I think Mm -hmm. it can feel that way. Yeah. But I think that's where like, like I said, like having more on the menu. I think Mm -hmm. men in particular do not appreciate Mm -hmm. that penetration is a very vulnerable thing. Right. And sometimes I think if men were more open to more things, Mm -hmm. other things, not always just doing like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, penetrative sex. Yeah. You would probably end up having some kind of sex a lot more often. Yeah. Or be more invited into your partner's Mm -hmm. masturbation or or foreplay or whatever. Right. I think like a lot of men are not open to that. Mm -hmm. And I think it hurts everyone (laughs) yeah because and I think it is starting with Mm -hmm. that understanding that penetrative sex is extremely vulnerable Mm -hmm. it's more vulnerable for women than it is for men yeah and so I really feel like if you're in a season where it's like I'm so stressed or I'm very depressed or my mental health is bad or I have so much on my mind and it's like can sometimes feel like a lot Mm -hmm. to do the full Mm -hmm. the full shebang right yeah, yeah. But there's so many other things. Mm-hmm. I love listening to lesbians talk about this because they're always like, I'm sorry, how are you having sex <laughs> to straight people? And it's like, I think they've cracked the code. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I kind of got off, I kind of got us off topic a little bit with like what this person was saying with like yeah. people on the aromantic and asexual yes. spectrum in particular is I think there are so many misconceptions Yeah. that asexuals think that sex is gross yes like there are plenty of sex positive asexual folks or plenty of people who are aromantic and don't want to have a romantic partner or maybe even not a sex partner either or that enjoy masturbating a lot yeah somehow makes you not asexual or not gray romantic or not aromantic which is just absolutely bogus yeah i think for people who don't want to have romantic or sexual intimacy with other people then this then masturbation is like really important and vibrators are really important yeah which is the same argument for Mm -hmm. like young people like Mm -hmm. teenagers it's such a healthy great way to explore your sexuality without a partner for everyone and this is trauma dumping time baby but victims of sexual assault like how are you supposed to ever enjoy physical intimacy in a healthy way with another person? How do you get comfortable with your body again, with pleasure mm-hmm. again? So sorry for whoever feels this is TMI, but 
whether I ever end up in a relationship or not, sexual, romantic, or otherwise, because of my history and for so many people with a history of sexual assault, there has to be other ways to, one, enjoy pleasure. Yeah. In general, whether you end up having or seeking a partner ever again. If you do end up seeking a partner, I think it is important to be able to kind of rediscover and and it's in an environment that is, you are in control. Yes. You are safe. You, this, these feelings that you have during this are not this Pavlovian tied to bad memories. It doesn't have to be that way forever. Yeah. And lots of people, not to say that people who have experienced sexual assault have to ever be interested in any of that again, but for those that are and still want to experience pleasure, that level of control and the not having another person involved, especially if you are attracted to the gender that assaulted you. Yeah. Which is most often like you are a woman who is attracted to men. (laughs) Obviously anybody can experience assault from any type of person, but that's the most common. And so that's kind of where my mind goes with this is like, how do, especially when you are very often, I'm not as strong as a man, you know, you have a physical disadvantage. You cannot relax. You cannot feel safe, even if it's with someone you trust. Yeah. So there has to be other ways to like, find, be comfortable with pleasure again in a Mm -hmm. safe environment where you're entirely in control. And a huge part of that is like fantasy, like fantasy on on your own, Mm -hmm. like really establishing. I completely agree with you that it's like a huge tool for regaining Mm -hmm. your, I don't know, ownership of Mm -hmm. your sexuality after assault. I also think for every women in particular, straight women in particular who are having sex with men, even if you've never been assaulted, Mm -hmm. I don't know a single woman who has never had some kind of gray area. Oh, it it was it was unintentional, but it made me feel uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. and or they're bigger than me, and I I didn't know what to do. Yeah, every single woman I know has had that experience. Mm -hmm. That is part of being the weaker, smaller party, or similarly similar in effect would be growing up where you are convinced it's wrong. I have had so many friends get into marriages yes. where they have that, that syndrome where it's like, you just, this is wrong. Yes. This yeah. is wrong. You clench up, whether it's the syndrome, like you have the actual like or syndrome. If it's psychosomatic. Or if it's yeah. psychosomatic, like so many women I know who grew up in the church then really, really struggle. And then especially if you did wait for sure, it yeah. is so often disappointing yes. because you cannot enjoy it the first time. Also because neither of you know what you're doing. Right, neither <laughs> of you know what you're doing, which is okay. But it's, if you have yes. explored with yourself, like imagine going into that marriage knowing at least if you waited, that's fine. But like, okay, you can tell your partner, I know what I've liked, what I like yeah, because I've try explored. Doing this? And you can like at least have more of a like a discussion about it because yeah. you already know what you like. Now you just have to help each other. Yeah. Figure that out. The last chunk of um, the last section I had was learning about yourself. And this person said um, they have friends who can get really down because they're seeking advice and nothing is working. It's difficult to learn about female pleasure because even search results are so closely tied to porn. There's mm-hmm. so much so much misinformation. So many women feel broken because they can't figure out how to get there. Yeah. But something that works for one person might not work for you and that doesn't mean you're broken. Yeah. And I think that is like hugely, no matter what your background, whether you're like, you're just came from a religious background and it's a struggle, you have a history of sexual assault and it's a struggle, you just yeah. like can't figure it out. Like I think- self-pleasure is just a way to learn about yourself. Yeah. 
and to learn how to enjoy that with a person or not. Yes. And like, I think it makes sex better for everyone, whether you're with a partner or alone or whatever Mm -hmm. the dynamic is. Mm -hmm. It makes sex better when you know what you like and you feel very confident in that. And I will have a direct note to the audience. This is, I think, particularly relevant to straight men. Mm -hmm. Never say, even if it's not like, oh, why can't you come? (laughs) Yeah. Never say like, oh, this worked with my last girlfriend or, oh, this other girl I used to Mm -hmm. have sex with, she used to come all the time. It's like, first of all, shut up. Yeah. I think it's often with men coming from a place of insecurity where like they don't know what they're doing wrong and they don't know what to do. And then they Mm -hmm. say like, oh, this worked with so-and-so. And And it's like, okay, well, it's not working with me. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's where like those conversations, I I think it's never appropriate to say that to a woman Mm -hmm. because it is so scientifically proven that it can be difficult to reach an orgasm, Mm -hmm. whether it's with just a one isolated partner or whatever, like the size, shape of a penis can impact that. (laughs) Right. You know, there's so many things that can impact where you are in your cycle. Mm -hmm. Whatever. There are so many things that can impact it. So never say that to a woman. Mm -hmm. But I do think as women, when you kind of are much more curious and open and exploring Mm -hmm. on your own, then in those situations, you can say, yeah, not never it is you but never say that yeah but like you can be more directive yeah you can be more explicit and specific yeah of like, I was I really like this or let me show you right. what I like yeah is hot and cool mm-hmm. and fun like yeah. you know I just think it puts you in a better position to have better sex with a partner if that's what you want mm-hmm. and like yeah, just never say to women like, oh, I just yeah. don't understand why this isn't making you come five times. Um, I don't know either. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was just about to say too that like women in particular don't fucking settle. Like, yeah. I think so many women are embarrassed to say to men, we're afraid of hurting their feelings. We don't want them to get mad. Yes. Like whatever. We're embarrassed to say that to somebody else that, hey, this isn't working necessarily. Here's something different. Yeah. And then I, so many women settle for maybe they can get there on their own just fine, but then they can't within yes. their relationship. And it's like, okay, if, so you're, hard. if you are with Ugh, a partner who cares about you. Yeah. One, you should feel comfortable telling them that something's not working. Absolutely. And I think... It's it's just sad when I hear that people are not, I don't know if demanding is the right word, but in a sense, they're not willing to demand that like, this is, this matters. Yeah. Me finding pleasure. Yeah. All the way matters. Yes. And it, it's possible. There's yeah. a way to get there. We just have to learn. And if your partner is not interested in learning, dump his ass. Yeah. And I, I will say, I think... Like, I have been in a very long-term relationship. Yeah. I feel like sex and pleasure evolves mm-hmm. when you're, like, with someone for a long yeah. time. And I think... I almost feel like it's harder to have those conversations in a committed relationship, even mm-hmm. if you're both sex positive, even if you've had right. those conversations in the past, even if you're comfortable with each other, because there's so much emotionally tied to mm-hmm. performing, especially for men. Yeah. Um And pleasuring each other and like having a good sex life and I think like it can be so devastating if that's not the case and I think 
I feel like embarrassment is one reason why it's hard to bring those things up as a woman. I think the other part is like knowing how sensitive it is for most men. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of times when you're par- partners in whatever way with a man, it is like one of their most vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's one of their most vulnerable times. <laughs> yeah. And it is hard to say like, it's it's hard to bring it up it can hurt their feelings and you don't really know Mm -hmm. how they're going to react. So I think it is like when you're not saying like, hey, something's wrong and I don't know what it is, can be really, really hard to say to someone. Mm -hmm. I think it's so much easier to have that conversation when you're saying, I want you to try this. Yeah. Specifically. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I want you to try this thing that I really like. Right. And it usually goes well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then they're like, yay, that was so fun. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And I think that's just like part of why it's so so important to like almost have like mindful masturbation yeah where it's not just like trying to get yourself off I think it's like a really great time to be like what do I like what am I into what am Mm -hmm. I thinking about most often Mm -hmm. or like even like I have seen a lot of videos that are about like touching yourself but not in like a masturbatory Mm -hmm. way yeah like caresses yeah like what are you into Mm -hmm. and then if you're having sex with another person yeah tell them like hey I really like to be touched here Mm -hmm. I really like this kind of foreplay or whatever yeah anyways yeah I also think the only thing I'll add I think is just the expectations I feel like that's the other thing with women is so many are told that it's very common for women to not orgasm which and it's like why bother right exactly and so they say why bother and I think that's like a very poorly way like a very poor way to word a legitimate statistic where it's like it is harder sometimes but why is it harder yeah like it's for all of these other reasons that we've been discussing like and I do it does like biologically take more time for people with clitorises to yes like but it's often lack of language, knowledge like, about female anatomy. Lack of knowledge. And I just, it's, it's the expectations is the part. It makes me so sad because that, I think that's where the settling comes from too, in addition to not yeah. wanting to kind of hurt people's feelings. And I think it's also like our responsibility when we are that kind of mentor person, perhaps, mm-hmm. talking to our friends yeah. to be like, like you said, we maybe talk about it too much, but I think it's important as women yes. to talk to each other about this stuff. It's like salary exposure. Yes. You realize you're getting underpaid. Talk to all your friends and 50% of them are getting there multiple times. You're every getting time. underpaid in orgasms. Like, Wait, maybe I should like actually kind of invest time in, and ask my partner to invest yeah. time into figuring this out because it's it fluctuates. Yes. Not every time. Like, 100% for everybody, it's going to fluctuate whether you can get there or not. Yeah. It doesn't have to be every single fucking time you no. fuck. Or every single time you even masturbate. Like, no, Like, even if you're doesn't. by yourself. But I think the it's like the... It's, it's rare mentality is really deceptive and misleading to a lot of women. Or even just, like, watch literally any porn <laughs> and the grand finale is the man yeah. coming. Yeah. And I think it definitely... in both in everyone creates this idea that like that is the final the finish line yeah and you're done and that a women's a woman's orgasm is just a nice icing on Mm -hmm. the cake and I think that you don't have to put a pressure on it like I have to orgasm or it doesn't count yeah you know but I think it's okay I in a relation in a past relationship I had a partner where it was like I was fairly inexperienced and so like there was like an early part where it was like I wasn't really like 
finishing Mm -hmm. most of the time. Yeah. I did sometimes, but, like, it was definitely taking a lot longer than I would say it Mm -hmm. does now. Yeah. (laughs) I remember remember being, like, you finishing is not, I want to finish every time. Yeah. I said those words. I was, like, every time we have sex, I want to finish. I'll tell you if it's a day where I'm okay with not finishing or I don't think it's going to happen for whatever reason. But other than that... Yeah, I want to finish. If you finish and I haven't finished, we're not done. Yeah, <laughs> get you back up, keep buddy. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was very receptive. Right. <laughs> he was like, "Yes, ma'am. Okay, <laughs> we're doing that." And that was like, you know, very important. But mm-hmm. I think like that conversation needed to be had. Right. You know, where I was like, "Excuse me, this is my expectation." Mm-hmm. I also think I've seen this a lot with like podcast bros Mm. specifically because I've been following a lot of podcasts for research. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have heard a lot of men say that in committed relationships, they care about making their partner finish, but in casual relationships, they don't. If you are having casual sex, which a lot of us girls are, no, we're not tolerating that. Mm -mm. You're not getting casual sex without any effort. I'm sorry. Yeah. And it's not everyone. But I think it's, like, really surprising the Mm -hmm. number of men who feel like, oh, well, I'm not going to put in that effort for someone who, like, I might not ever see again. Or like, Are you going to leave that casual encounter feeling good if you didn't get there? Yeah, exactly. It's like, what are you you here for? That's what I'm here for. (laughs) You know, and so I think that is kind of weird that men feel that, some men feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Yuck. Yeah. And I also think, you know, there is a lot of, gray area where I understand the fear Mm -hmm. of not wanting to leave a sexual encounter but if you're in a sexual encounter like that and someone is just not interested in your pleasure at all it's okay to walk away yeah and I understand the risk of that Mm -hmm. and I think we all as women know the fear of what that can lead to Mm -hmm. in saying no I know we're already here but I'm done yeah but that is something you're allowed to do Right. And you should do mm-hmm. if someone isn't really paying attention to you. Right. It's like that feels terrible mm-hmm. and it's okay to say I'm no longer I no longer want to do this. Right. Stop. Mm-hmm. Stop is a full sentence. Right. The only other thing that I realized somehow we didn't talk about and we don't have a lot of time to talk about I know. it. But this was a good episode. The though. idea of teenage Oh, I know. We could do a whole episode. We could on do that. a whole episode on the shame around masturbation. And if there was not that shame, I feel like in general, so many kids would not be getting into situations that yes. are not good for the their current age bracket. Yes. That are unsafe. Yeah. That are or like they're not they're not soon. protected. Yeah. Like I think if we were to say, yeah, self-pleasure is a good way to explore your sexuality when you're a fucking horny teenager. Yeah. On That's your own. good. You don't Maybe have do to do it, do it with yourself. someone else. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to go seek that experience with someone else who you're not ready, they're not ready. Like it's probably gonna be awkward anyway. Yeah. Like also, when I think Figure of my first... Figure out what you like when you're younger. The, the My first sexual experiences, like, I knew... We've talked about this. It is... It literally makes me want to cry thinking about how little I knew or mm-hmm. understood about sex. And I think that we try to, like, protect kids. Mm-hmm. And, like, I completely get wanting to protect your kid to be mm-hmm. like, it, you know, it's too soon. Mm-hmm. You're too young. But I think there's a way to do that through education. Right. 
rather than because what happens is they're gonna have sex anyways at some point and then you're going in blind right (laughs) yeah and that is so much less safe Mm -hmm. it's so much less enjoyable it's so just yes ah or they're so curious because they want to know understandably what it's like that when they are propositioned by someone whether they really want that person or not they may feel more pressured to say yes they their curiosity may get the better of them they may get put themselves in a less safe situation in order to kind of satisfy this curiosity and it's so interesting (laughs) this could be a whole topic too we won't go too far into it it's so interesting that the people who tend to be very anti-pleasure, anti-masturbation, especially for women, are also often the people who are against abortion. Yeah. And there's always the pattern of people who say they are pro-life, they are pro-forced birth, is the better term, are not willing to look at these other solutions like better sex education, Mm -hmm. maybe reducing the shame and stigma around masturbation, and all these other things that could prevent teens in particular, but just people with uteruses in general, from having unwanted pregnancies. Also, (laughs) I feel like a huge fear around educating, like, specifically about masturbation is that, oh, they'll like it and they'll want to have sex more. Look at single women. Yeah. Look at single women who have just bought their first vibrator. Are they having more sex with men? No, they're not. We should do a study. It will prove what I just said. It will, in fact, mean that you need it less. So also, if you're really interested in... If you want teenage girls to have less sex, give them vibrators. (laughs) (laughs) Because they'll be like, this is amazing. And you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Yeah, and it can satisfy that need like before they're actually in a position where they can make smart, safe decisions with people who are safe. Yes, and understanding, I think, uh, we should do a whole episode on this, but parents who are educating their kids about sex and leaving out really important anatomical details, that was definitely my experience. And then, like, the first time I'm I'm in in the trenches, (laughs) I was very confused. I was flabbergasted. I was flabbergasted by the events that occurred, you know, and... And I didn't need to be. And I think because I was just, it's like, of course you're going to figure it out. Yeah. And I did. (laughs) But but it shouldn't have been such a jarring experience. And I think it is for so many people. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I I will definitely educate if I ever have children, educate them a little differently about sex than I will be a give your kid a vibrator. Right. Yeah. Assuming that I have a daughter. Right. I can't imagine my body creating a man yeah yeah Ew. Ew. <laughs> all right <clears throat> nice okay our little game for the end of the episode is ins and outs of 2024 so what is out let's start with out what's out for 2024 neutrals neutrals are out for 2024 we're done. they weren't really in for you i am wearing a cream sweater i understand I am wearing that brown <laughs> but like for our home decor for right. like we're we're getting maximalist neutrals are out outs other another out is doing anything on tiktok and naming it a theory hair theory makeup theory <laughs> it's not a fucking theory it's just yeah hair makes you look different there's no theory about it it's a fact stanley tumblers stanley Ow. cups yes not having orgasms right yeah settling for a partner who won't get you there out out doubting ourselves right comparing ourselves to mm-hmm. each other mm-hmm. not 
embracing the current season of life. Mm-hmm. Out. Out. My favorite thing that's in. <laughs> the mob wife aesthetic is yeah. my favorite thing that's in in 2024. It's a good vibe. Oh, yeah. Even though I'm dressed like a trad wife, I think that is out. Mm-hmm. Mob wives are in. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I, that orange coat. We both have a huge fur coats and we, we're mob wives. Yes. Yeah. We look good in yeah. those coats. We do. They're crazy. Yeah. Not giving a fuck. Right. But on the other hand, caring deeply about our passions. Right. <laughs> and our people. And our people. Taking Friendship. Care of people. Close yes. friendships. Close, yes. close friendships. Platonic intimacy is in. Yes. Platonic intimacy in. I think embracing singlehood in your 30s is in. In. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Talking about masturbation on a platform that your mom listens to. In. In. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> um, knitting so you can pay attention to things that you should be able to pay attention to anyways because you're interested in them. In. in. <laughs> and just in general, finding tools that help us get through our day-to-day lives. Right. Like fireplace, YouTube, 20 hours yeah. of footage. In. Easy breezy. Like not being hard. Life not feeling hard. Yeah. In for 2024. Slow living. In. Yeah. Easy breezy. Like I, I just enjoying the ride. Yeah. It's all downhill from here. Right. Wait. Coast it. You know what I mean. Not yeah. like it's getting worse. <laughs> like you're coasting. Yeah. Uh, in for 2024. Yeah. I think probably buying new vibrators since apparently I don't have enough. Yeah. In. Vibrators. Yeah. More vibrators, fewer Stanley cups. We should get vibrators in every color. What if we started a company? (laughs) (laughs) Is it a business or is it a hyperfixation? That was like the The Stanley cup designs, but in vibrators. (laughs) And the whole point was to collect them and Target sells vibrators now. Yeah, they do. Could be a thing. It could be fun. Could be fun. I could see a natural progression of uh-huh. the podcast being a vibrator company. Yeah. Or if you're a vibrator company, sponsor us. Yeah. We're interested. <laughs> Unbound. We're Come very on, much please. so interested in making money off of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bangs in. <laughs> Don't make that face. Yeah. Bangs in. Getting a haircut and asking your hair artiste to uh, do something different a week later. Yeah. In. I love doing that. Um, here's one that's very niche. Going to a brewery on a Saturday early afternoon and watching mm. a movie. Mm. In. I did that on Saturday and it was like a great cozy vibe. In. Well, you're also going to start knitting at breweries. Yes. Cozy activities. Yeah. In. In. Okay. Doing things for the plot. In. <laughs> the other day I was having a text conversation with a man and I'm obviously live texting Maggie while it's happening. And I was like, I feel like I, I'm not stressed out about this. I just can't wait to see what happens. And that's usually how I feel when I talk to men. Mm-hmm. Abiding by your NDA. In, maybe. I would Sometimes. love for it to be out. <laughs> Committing Sometimes crimes. I think. We won't say. Calling any person who touches you a little bit harder than they should a misdemeanor. Yeah. Tap me too hard on the shoulder. That's a misdemeanor. <laughs> Anyone who... Who hurts me emotionally a little harder than that's I want to. That's a misdemeanor. To. Misdemeanor. <laughs> felony. That's a felony, actually. Maybe learning our You hurt my feelings on accident? Felony. <laughs> Does um, that mean I committed a felony recently? <laughs> and you went to jail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on accident. Because <laughs> I wasn't ready to talk about it yet. <laughs> taking time before you talk about conflict with your friends in in if we can manage that really worked well yeah (laughs) the biggest thing that's in is 
expressing my feelings in the moment. Man, is that difficult. Yeah. Wow. Mine is expressing them less. (laughs) No, I don't think it should be expressing them less. Okay. Uh, Where to find us? Here Instagram. we go. TikTok. I'm gonna say it with my chest. Mm. Chest. Mm. Chest. Mm. Find us on social media, Instagram and TikTok, madwomaninattic.pod. After our small little break, we did have a little bit of a dive on social media and it has been impacting my mental health. Help us. So remember to like, comment, and share on our social media posts if you like the podcast, please. <laughs> We're begging you. I'm begging you. <laughs> For Sarah's mental health. I, I can't be putting things out on the internet as a 30-year-old and having nobody <laughs> like it. That is devastating. Okay. Yeah. You can also go to our website, madwomaninattic.com. <laughs> And you can find us on Patreon, where you can subscribe for 3 or $6 to support us as podcast girls at patreon.com slash madwomaninattic.pod. Yeah, nice work. Wink. Winking in. Winking. Winking with your whole face. <laughs> Saying in. these with your chest. In. in. <laughs> ho, ho, ho. Oh, we got to start that no, again. No, that no, was no, a- no. I didn't know if we were, if we were done. Ready? Ho, 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 ho. Bye. Bye. Love y'all. Love y'all. I forgot what we said at the end for a second. <laughs> you got it, though. I, I'm i so sorry. It's now lines again on my face. Do you need me to get it? Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah. my God. I'm so I sorry. demand a raise. <laughs> we just start crying. We are not making money. Yeah. Not making money. No, we are not making money. Subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs>